Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I enjoy doing private consultation. Of course, I speak, teach, write, travel worldwide, really, but the private consultations that I do with leaders are particularly gratifying to me. Recently, after just such a session with the owner and president of a multi-million dollar company in another state, the man said to me, at the end of the day, what exhausts me the most is the constant barrage of decisions. That's what leadership is all about. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm delighted that you've joined us for this episode of a lengthy series, a 10-week series on the life and leadership of King David. If you've missed any or all of the previous episodes, they're archived, and I hope that you'll go back and catch up. But if this is the only one that you hear in the whole series, it is a standalone, and I hope that you'll enjoy it. I want to talk today about the decision-making processes of King David, some of his most important decisions. Everybody makes some bad decisions, and the Bible is perfectly clear that David made his fair share of bad decisions, but what really characterized his leadership was good decisions. Let's see if we can get behind the mind of King David and figure out what made him make the decisions the way that he made them. What was his motivation in decision-making? You know, Bobby Burns said, the best laid plans of mice and men, gang after we, we know that we can make all these plans and anything can go wrong, all the variables involved. So sometimes decisions have to be made on the hoof. Sometimes you can make long-term decisions and everything changes at the last minute. But what is the motivation, the character of the person behind the decision-making process? That's what's most important. And what values do they bring to the decision-making process? I'm going to deal with several of King David's decisions in leadership, some of that were extremely important. The first deals with his decision to found a new capital for the new nation of Israel. You may not think of King David this way, but David was actually a startup entrepreneur. He took over a, let's put it in business terms, he took over a failing company with a the former executive of which had ended his life in failure and suicide. And he's going to try to turn that around and make it successful. So he has to have that startup energy to to turn a failing and fledgling company and make it successful. That company, that startup company, happens to be the nation of Israel. Well, the first thing that he has to do is establish a new internal culture. He's got to change the culture of that company. What has happened in Israel, in the company of Israel, if I can put it that way, Israel Incorporated under President Saul, is that it's become siloed. All of the tribes are at odds with each other. And that is what Saul inherited. And to a certain extent, he tried to coalesce those tribes into a new confederation. He did found the first national army instead of the tribal um armies or militias, if you will. But Saul was never really able to give Israel a national identity. 
And that's what's crucial to the internal culture of a company. It has to, the employees have to be able to think of themselves and the constituents of that company have to think of themselves in terms of that greater company, greater than what they do. So you can't have all the people in R&D who are angry at the people in accounting, who are angry at the people in sales. You have to have each of those people in all of those silos aware of the corporate culture. Now, how could David do that? He did it, first of all, by making the decision that the startup nation of the United States made. And that is, a new nation needs a new capital. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. David was of the tribe of Judah. Benjamin to the north, Judah to the south. Saul had established his national capital at the tribal capital of Benjamin, which was Gibeah. So when David became the, the president, the CEO of, of the nation uh, company of Israel, when he became the king of all of the tribes, he was the president of Judah, the king. I'm using president and corporate names. He was the king of Judah only of that one tribe at Hebron, the traditional tribal capital of Judah for seven years, seven and a half years exactly. When all of the tribes then came together and all of the tribal leaders, chieftains, anointed David as king of the combined tribes of Israel, David made a very important decision. He said to himself, this new nation needs a new capital. Why? If he made the capital at Gibeah, at Saul's old capital, the Benjamites would be happy, but the people from Judah would say, our own man has, de has deserted us. If he made the capital at Hebron, where he was, the people in the other tribes might very well say, you see, he's still really the king of Judah. Everybody from Judah would be favored in jurisprudence, in appointments, in all of those things. The people from Judah will be the most favored tribe. So David said, we need a neutral capital. That is exactly what the fledgling nation of the United States did. They said, if we, if we make the capital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania will be the favorite state. If we make the, the capital at New York City, God forbid, if we make the capital at New York City, then New York would be the favorite state. Or in Virginia, at Richmond, wherever they made the capital. So they made a very important decision. They carved off parts of Maryland and Virginia and formed a non-state district, the capital district with the city in that capital district of Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, so that the capital of the nation didn't belong any more to Maryland or Virginia than it did to Wyoming or New Mexico. Hence, it was a neutral district, a non-state district. It could never be favored, or the state in which it resided could never be favored. David wanted to do the same thing. Now, where to put that capital? David had grown up in Bethlehem, um, eight or ten miles away from his childhood village of Bethlehem. There was a Jebusite garrison, a stronghold called Jebus for the Jebusites. It was so strong, so impregnable that they had a kind of a Jebusite uh, proverb that um, it could be defended, that Jebus could be defended with the blind and the lame. So they, had, they said this thing. Unless you can defeat our blind and our lame, you can never capture Jebus. So David, remembering Jebus, 
took Joab and the army, and one of the first things he did after he became king, CEO of the new uh, Israeli nation incorporated, he went to Jebus and captured it and renamed it Jerusalem. So that now Jerusalem became the capital. If you were from Asher or Dan or Gad or Judah, your capital was Jerusalem. It's an extremely important decision and a decision that has lasted for 3,000 years. Jerusalem is still the capital of Israel. It's never been the capital ever in history of any other nation, though it has been the possession of other nations. It's never been the capital of any other nation, and Israel has never had another capital, unless you count the divided nation of Judah and Israel when the capital for the northern part was in Samaria. But it's always been the capital. It always will be the capital because David established it 3,000 years ago. Now, what was his motivation? We could put it down to pride or ego or whatever, that he's the one who conquered Jebus, but he didn't name it Davidium. Uh, when Alexander founded uh, a city in Egypt, he named it Alexandria the Great. When Constantine founded his capital of the Eastern Division of the Roman Empire, he named it Constantinople. So when David established the new capital of, of Israel, he could have named it for himself. Instead, he named it Jerusalem. And that reveals to us that the basis, the background of his decision was not simply ego. The second thing was that David understood the issue of corporate culture. He knew that everyone had to think of Jerusalem as the capital. So he established the national offices there. His capital was there. His house was there. Now he needed one other thing to make that capital city the heart as well as and the brains and the soul of the new company, of the new corporation, Israel Incorporated. What could that be? The Ark of the Covenant. So David sent back to the old military capital, Baal Judah, where the Ark of the Covenant was being kept. And he said, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now, that would make Jerusalem, you see, the military, political, economic, and religious center of the new nation. David was making a very important strategic decision. We have to believe he was also making a good decision spiritually, religiously. He wanted the religious center life of Israel to be at Jerusalem. So those are two good decisions. So now he went back up to Baal Judah. And he loaded the Ark of the Covenant into a Philistine invention, an ox cart, and started back with a parade. He's got a brass band and floats and, uh, you know, the cheerleaders and everybody are having a big time. We're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. They came to a place in the road where there was a, a dip down into a creek and a, and a pothole there. And uh, the Ark of the Covenant jostled. When that ox cart dropped, the Ark of the Covenant looked like it was going to fall out. A man there, not, not doing something evil, but just simply making a bad decision, he reached up to brace the Ark of the Covenant so that it wouldn't fall in the mud. And of course, what's the law? You can't touch the Ark of the Covenant. And he was struck dead. Well, that's the end of the parade. David um, offloaded the Ark of the Covenant 
parked it at the house of a man named Obed-Edom, and the parade slinked back into Jerusalem. So David had made two good decisions. Then he made a bad decision because he was doing a good thing in a bad way or a good thing in a, a stupid way. I, I, I can't say that I'm clear that David had evil motives in putting that Ark of the Covenant into an ox cart. What I think we can say clearly is that David did not take the time to find out how does God want this done. And God had already said how to do it. The Ark of the Covenant was to be carried on uh, poles with the, the priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, not to put it into an ox cart. So David made a very good decision with Jerusalem. He made a very good decision to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Then he made a bad decision by bringing the Ark of the Covenant in the wrong way. Several months later, David remembers the man where he parked the Ark of the Covenant, Obed-Edom. And remember, the last time he saw the Ark of the Covenant, he struck a man dead. David thinks, oh my, Obed-Edom may be gone. It may have wiped out his whole family. So he sends someone there and says, well, what's, what's the situation with Obed-Edom? This guy returns with his report, and he says, your majesty, Obed-Edom is blessed beyond measure. His fields are producing more than his neighbors. When it doesn't rain on anybody else, it rains on him. The cows are given more milk. The, the, the crops are growing. His wife is pregnant with twins. Everything is being blessed. And David now makes another good decision. That which he deserted and abandoned because of fear, he remembers because of faith. He says, now I know. this. The Ark of the Covenant, this is not God's instrument to hurt us. It's God's instrument to bless us if we do it God's way. So now David goes back to Obed-Edom's house, same parade, same brass band. The, the Boy Scouts are carrying the flag, the whole thing cheerleaders, batons throwing, everything like that. But this time, he doesn't load the Ark of the Covenant in an ox cart. The priests carry it. And David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It's a significant and lasting decision. It was very, very important. What was David's motivation? This is how we're, what we're trying to figure out. What made David make good decisions when he made good decisions? His decision was for the good of his people. Executives, leaders make the best decisions when they make decisions that will bless the most people and they resist the impulse to name everything for themselves. Jerusalem wasn't named for David. The temple wasn't named for David, where the Ark of the Covenant was going to be placed later in the next generation. David was making good decisions when he made the best decisions. He was making good decisions out of a pure motive to rebrand the company from the inside, change the culture, and bless the most number of people. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you today. We're all making decisions all the time. We can make bad decisions. Most bad decisions are made because of bad motives, because we don't take the time to know God's way to make the decision. Most good decisions are made because we're making the right decision for the most number of people. I want to tell you about this book. David the Great, this book has been a tremendous seller for global servants, and I want you and all those that you care about to have this book. It's time to do your Christmas shopping, and if you haven't done it already, these books are usually $20 each, 
But what I've asked my staff to do is if you will go to drmarkrutland.com and you order this book, you can get as many as you want for half price, all of them for half price. So a whole case, a case of these is 36. So you can get a whole case for $360 and your Christmas shopping's done with one box. There are also all kinds of other products there, other books that you may want to get. Load everything you want in your cart and immediately they'll knock 40% off of everything that you want. And I hope that you will enjoy these books and all this material. This offer expires on December the 15th. So I hope that you'll uh, jump right on it. Go to drmarkrutland.com. Use promo code notebook2020 and get all of these things at 40% off. Now, let me tell you about a couple of other things. If you'll go to uh, our ministry website, globalservants.org, you can sign up to receive a free copy of our We Serve magazine, a beautiful, slick magazine that I know will be a blessing to you. On my website, drmarkrutland.com, we're at a time where people may need a word of encouragement. And I, I just want to give you that. There's a sermon there called The God of the Unlikely. At the top of drmarkrutland.com site, you'll see a red banner. If you click on that banner, you can get that sermon in any format that you want it. Well, Christmas is coming. It's time to do your Christmas shopping at drmarkrutland.com. All of the proceeds, every penny, will be a Christmas present for our girls' homes in Thailand and in West Africa. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining me on The Leader's Notebook. I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.